Hi, this is Ben Lowell with Back to the Bible Canada and Dr. John Newfeld. Well, this week, we begin a very special series called Hell Explained. And so we turn in our Bibles to Revelation chapter 20, verse 15, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message called Thinking the Unthinkable. Let me begin by offering a word of warning. If you have young children, might I suggest that you use parental discretion? That's because this one-week series on the subject of hell, I think, should not be listened to by children. Yeah, children must be taught the full doctrine of God, but it's not until they're older that they ought to be taught the details that one finds in the Scripture. And the Bible's details on the subject of hell are disturbing enough for an adult, never mind for children. Now, for those of you who are going to object right now, let me tell you of an error that I made when my kids were younger. You know, we watched the Jesus movie and the scene of the crucifixion so horrified my young daughter, I spent evenings with her for a number of nights as she was trying to digest the horror of what was done to Jesus. I learned then that whether it's the conquests of Joshua or the battles of David or the destruction of Jerusalem by the Babylonians or the details of the cross, some things are intended for an adult audience, and this week's messages are of that kind. Now, this week, if you've never heard an extended teaching on hell, might I suggest that you will be more horrified than you've ever been in your life. I'm absolutely certain that if you've been making jokes about hell, you will most certainly never do so again. If you've never heard an extended teaching on hell, you're going to be amazed that you've never heard of this matter before. And furthermore, I suspect that some of you will become angry and others despondent and still others will become terrified. And so let me address the rather obvious question. Why in the world would I even think about doing a series on hell? And as you know, every once in a while, I'll break from an expository series, that is a verse-by-verse teaching of the Bible, and then I'll take up a topic, and the topic that's found in the wider study of Scripture. So why speak about hell? And what do I hope to accomplish by speaking about this awful subject? Now, my first reason is the most mundane and unexciting of reasons. You know, some time ago, I put together a two-week series on heaven. And many of you wrote expressing great encouragement. Many of you had never heard a series on the subject of heaven. But, and this is my thinking, no series on heaven is complete unless one also considers the opposite, hell. In the future, I imagine that folks will want a copy of both the heaven and the hell series. But that, as I have said, is really the most mundane of reasons. I have at least five other reasons for wanting to embark on this series. So first, most people listening to my voice will never have heard a sermon on hell in their lives, never mind a series on this subject. Indeed, I frequently hear people say, you know, the last thing we need is another hellfire and brimstone sermon. And to that, I'll always respond, When was the last time you heard a hellfire and brimstone sermon? And almost everyone will respond that they've never heard one in their lives. And here's what I know with absolute certainty. When a matter is no longer preached in one generation, it's no longer believed in the next. And then it takes a very short period of time before one begins to read books and hear sermons directly contradicting the belief in hell. And those who read and hear these teachings have no defense against them, for they've never been instructed in the first place. And so I've heard the following questions. 
Surely you don't think anyone goes to hell for not believing in hell. Well, fascinatingly, I've never heard anyone ask, surely you don't think anyone fails to go to heaven for failing to believe in heaven. And furthermore, it becomes clear that when someone states matters that way, they betray that they think that the belief in hell is an optional doctrine, much like whether one believes that the Holy Spirit was only sent by the Father or by both the Father and the Son. See, we can't think it matters that much. After all, we've never been taught why on these matters, never mind what the Bible actually teaches about it. And so my first reason for teaching on hell is because an entire generation has gone to church and has never heard a sermon on it, and therefore an essential aspect of the Christian faith is disappearing, and therefore our faith is being eroded. You know, to that, and this is not a second reason for preaching on hell, but it's a a subcategory of the first reason. And, And so to what I've already said, let me add this thought. How often have we heard that we should not scare people into the kingdom? Now, perhaps you've said that as well. Jesus would never scare people into the kingdom. But that's precisely what Jesus did. And didn't you know? Listen to what Jesus said to the Jews in Capernaum, and it's recorded in Matthew chapter 8, verses 11 to 12. He said, I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. See, if that sounds like a threat, it's because it is. If that sounds like it's supposed to frighten the Jews living in Capernaum, it was because that was precisely the intent, scaring people. Well, Jesus did plenty of that. Listen to his words in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. I'm sorry, were you paying attention? You should fear God who has the power to throw both your soul and your body in hell. So, you know, in the future, I'm going to say a lot more about the resurrection of the bodies of those who are going to hell so that they actually experience bodily torment. But that's exactly what Jesus said. He said it to frighten people. And that's my point. When we say that we should not frighten people, we betray that the way in which we think about things is diametrically opposed to the way in which Jesus thought about things. See, another objection is that preaching about hell turns people away from the faith, and to that I would make several observations. Yeah, I I do believe that the caricature of the preacher who rubs his hands in glee as he thinks of scaring people with hell, surely that does turn people away. That's because everyone knows that the man who speaks that way is not a loving man. But let me suggest another example. What if you were told the risks of smoking? What if you were told that cigarette smoking causes most cases of lung cancer? And what if you were told that cigarette smoking has been directly linked to emphysema and chronic bronchitis and diseases that are a part of what has been called COPD? And what if you were told that smokers are 12 to 13 times more likely to die from these diseases than non-smokers? And what if you told young men that smoking can and does lead to sexual dysfunction? See, if I told you those things and then also tell you of programs that can help defeat a nicotine addiction and that I can help you, do you think the frightening language is just scaremongering and is therefore unloving? Well, of course not. 
Indeed, if our culture didn't tell people the risks associated with smoking, we would be guilty of neglect and a callous lack of regard for people. Does it not therefore follow that if a church will not graciously and gently explain the doctrine of hell, what it is and what causes people to go there, does it not follow that if we do not speak of these things, we're not being gracious, but we're guilty of a callous lack of regard for people. Now, I hasten to repeat, everything depends on our motivation. But having said that, speaking about hell is not necessarily incompatible with love. Indeed, love demands that we must speak of this. Well, all of that under the first heading. An entire generation has now gone to church with, without ever hearing a sermon on hell. And the consequences everywhere felt. There's a lack of seriousness around our faith. Many of us do not fear sin. A great many of us don't actually even fear God. And even more of us have no sense even of the glory of God. For many of us can't even begin to conceive of a God who would send people there. Take away hell from our language and thinking, and in short order, the entire nature of the faith changes. So if you're going to write me and complain about this series of messages, might I beg you not to ask me if I think I'm going to go to hell for not believing in hell. See, the question itself reflects that the asker has never thought seriously about it and has become accustomed to thinking about the subject as if it were a joke and who considers the matter peripheral to the faith. And that brings me to the second reason for speaking about hell. There are now significant voices who openly deny hell. See, unlike previous eras, these voices have felt emboldened in their objection. You know, some time ago, a very popular book was entitled The Wideness of God's Mercy, and another one was called Love Wins. And with that, the nerve is cut. I mean, the nerve that has urged the church towards missions and evangelism and giving up our lives for the sake of the witness of Jesus Christ. February 3rd to the 11th, join us for our 60th anniversary celebration, Caribbean Cruise. Join Dr. John Newfeld, Phil Calloway from Laugh Again, Isaac Dagno from In Doubt, and special musical guests Shane and Angela Weeb for a nine-day adventure of not only enjoying the sights and sounds of the Caribbean, but exceptional opportunities for worship, fellowship, laughter, and digging deeply into God's Word. I promise a vacation event that will refresh, encourage, and draw you closer in your walk with Jesus. So don't miss out. Call today for more information as room is limited. Call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit our events page online at backtothebible.ca. And please remember that any of our Back to the Bible Canada vacation events are paid for solely by the participants and the gifts of ministry friends across Canada are never used for this purpose. You think the doctrine of hell was essential to producing the missionary movement? Well, Hudson Taylor, and he is, of course, one of the greatest missionaries in the history of the church. And Hesselgrave, in his 2005 book about Taylor, shows that Taylor himself said he would not have gone to China had he not believed that the Chinese people were lost and on their way to hell. 
and Amy Carmichael, one of the great Protestant missionaries who went to India, claimed that she saw a vision of people tumbling into hell. Let me read to you part of her vision. She writes, Then I saw forms of people moving single file along the grass. They were making for the edge. There was a woman with a baby in her arms and another little child holding on to her dress. She was on the verge. She was on the very verge. Then I saw that she was blind. She lifted her foot for the next step. It trod air. She was over and the children over with her. Oh, the cry as they went over. You know, it should be said that all the greatest of missionaries who began the modern world missions movement, which has had a global impact and has ushered millions upon millions into the kingdom, every one of them believed in hell. And although it would be wrong to say that it was their only motivation, it would equally be wrong to say that hell played only a small role in that motivation. Michael Pocock writes, The biblical understanding of hell is fundamental to a Christian worldview and therefore cannot be neglected. The concept of perishing in John 3.16, as interpreted in the context of other passages, speaks of an eternity of suffering without God. The account of the rich man and Lazarus indicates continual pain, and Jesus' teaching of two destinies, eternal punishment and eternal life in Matthew 25, verse 46, indicates that the reality of hell is a stimulus to pure living. We might add historically, it's been one of the central stimuli to the world missions movement. Wow. Why preach on hell? Well, first, most believers today have never heard a sermon about it and are to the most part ignorant of what the doctrine is. And second, the doctrine of hell has been one vital part to the motivation of the advancement of the gospel. And third, Jesus referenced hell so frequently, any gospel that does not reference hell is a gospel most unlike that which was taught by Jesus. In Matthew 13, 49 to 50, Jesus said, So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And in Matthew 18, verses 8 to 9, Jesus said, And if your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the fire of hell. And in Matthew 25, verses 31 to 34, Jesus says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. And then later in verse 41, he adds, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Now, fourth, the doctrine of hell is not only frequently found in the teaching of Jesus. It's also essential to the rest of the New Testament. 
Consider 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 to 9. It speaks of when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Or consider Revelation 20, verse 15. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. You know, my fifth and final reason for wanting to share a series on hell is because the doctrine is now so widely disbelieved among evangelicals. See, I have heard pastors and elders and deacons, no matter of Christians, regularly telling jokes about hell. Given we would not tell cruel jokes about conditions in the Dachau concentration camp, I must only assume that the cavalier spirit around the matter of hell is because it's simply disbelieved rather than shuddered at in horror. And for all those reasons and more, I feel compelled to talk about hell. I pray that this series in a small way brings the topic of hell back to our Bible studies and back into our pulpits. But in all of this, I have not yet shared what I hope is going to be accomplished by having a series on hell. So let me suggest four things. First, one of the most difficult things that Christians often struggle with is how the doctrine of hell can be made to reconcile with the nature of God. I mean, questions like, how can a God of love send people to hell? I mean, what kind of a God would call his saints to rejoice in heaven if at the same time the greater part of human beings are suffering eternal punishments? See, a great many believers have heard these critiques of the doctrine of hell and have never heard a biblical response to those questions. How is hell consistent with the nature of God? I was listening to an interview with Stephen Fry, who's an atheist and an actor. He was being asked what he would say if he were actually confronted by God, and he said, bone cancer in children, I would say to God, how dare you? You know, some Christians, when they hear this cheeky response in which an atheist imagines that he would be seated on a throne and call God to give an account, rather than the other way around, are left startled with no answer. And many of us have never heard a solid biblical answer to why it is God that's on the throne and not human beings. We're not judging God. We have no right to do so. God is judging us, which is his moral right. And so we need to regain a deep sense of confidence in the truth of the gospel and stop sulking around, hoping that no one asks us the hard questions. A second outcome of this study is that we put aside all the the silly pictures we have of hell and, and actually study those biblical passages that describe hell. Let me suggest at the outset that there are numerous false views. One is the view that hell is not eternal, but it's either redemptive or that it ends in annihilation. Another false view is that God never sends anyone there, but we choose to go there against his objections. See, all of these views are ways to blunt the biblical material simply because of our embarrassment around the subject. I think a thorough biblical study on the actual nature of hell will bring a great deal of sobriety into this discussion. A third outcome is that we actually examine the idea of hell and Christian motivation both in terms of missions and in terms of godly living. Are we supposed to remember hell when we're being tempted? I mean, what does the Bible actually say about that? And finally, let's connect the doctrine of hell to the doctrine of last things. 
what is it that the Bible actually says about the last judgment and what is the basis upon which people are judged? We'll hear the terrifying words of Revelation chapter 14 verses 9 and 10. If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. See, the passage tells us that God is not absent from hell, but is present to it in order to visit his enemies with ceaseless wrath. I'm I'm overwhelmed with that image. If I were to sum up this series, I would do so by saying this study is a call for us to think about the unthinkable. It's an invitation to enter into a topic many of us shudder to think about. And for myself, I do this with a great deal of foreboding. And yet I'm reminded that our God is a consuming fire and that he is not to be trifled with. For those who feel compelled to listen and who have never heard a series on hell, I want you to enter into the dreadful seriousness of this topic. My prayer is that we allow our lives to be transformed and consider afresh the words of John 3.16. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Let's marvel afresh what grace has been given to us. And might I also say to anyone who is afraid to listen, that God comes to you and offers you the gift of his son so that you would not perish, but that you would inherit eternal life. May the Lord be with you. John, I'm a little bit conflicted. I'd like to say that I'm excited about this series, but I'm really not in some cases because I I know the seriousness of it. But this hasn't always been the way, and I don't think it's the way right now. I think we sort of trivialize the subject of hell, and we see it in so many ways. Why do you think that is? Yeah, I think we have trivialized so much of life. And Ben, you and I know, I mean, it's it's great to have a good laugh around things. It's it's great to be lighthearted. But there are some things about which we must never be lighthearted. I think, to me, the most obvious is the name of God. And when people use the name of God as an expression, I'm always horrified. We ought to treat that name with reverence. And when we speak about subjects of heaven and hell, we recognize that we're speaking about the destinies of men and women. And these are such serious matters. I would think there should be no levity here at all. This should be dealt with in the attitude in which the Scripture deals with it. We should treat it with this this deep sense of reverence and seriousness. Thanks so much, John. And we, we look forward to this series on Hell Explained right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. Just a reminder that if you don't receive our ministry magazine, Truth in Life Today, and you'd like to receive our Christmas issue, now is the time to subscribe. And it's yours for free every other month just for the asking. Each issue of Truth and Life offers insightful and biblical articles about life and faith, shares with you pastoral encouragement, and always provides you insight about the most up-to-date ministry news and resources. This Christmas, we'll of course be emphasizing the story of the birth of Jesus and how this story heard over 2,000 years still brings new light and truth into our lives. And also how this great story shapes what we know to be true 
about our relationship to God, and so much more. So call us today to subscribe for Truth In Life magazine at 1-800-663-2425 or sign up online at backtothebible.ca.